you know what I have always thought is really, really dumb? I, I just, it just, it just, I never got it. Uh, really, really dumb. It, uh, ads for ultra high definition TVs on TV. Do you know, do you get the point? Like, I, I, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this TV screen and it's just amazing images, like full of rich colours and it looks beautiful. And then I realise, like, I'm watching it on my TV. I can already see those beautiful colours. Like, there's nothing that you can do to convince me with a TV ad that this is any good. If it looks that good on my screen, my TV's fine because I can see it. And I don't, I, I don't care about the stats. I don't care how many pixels you say that it has. Look, you could, have, you could have dinosaurs in it. You could have all sorts of different things. You could be playing a piano in the, in, in the ocean. And if your ad on TV can't show that to me any better than my TV because it's on my TV. Now, look, to be fair, Samsung had a crack with this sort of slight overpromise in their TV that you could like, almost see a jump out at you. But I think that's an oversell. And with some things, you can't tell it from online. You can't tell it from the screen. The numbers don't even tell you either. The only way to know is to do it in person, to go to JB Hi-Fi and see and check it out. And so, but the thing is, right, those TVs, they are crazy different. My parents, they had, they sort of have had this sort of room, which was the old TV room, and then they sort of turned the formal lounge room, as they, they called it, into this like my dad's NFL binge watching kind of like room. This massive TV that covered half the wall, and you watch something on that, and you're like, oh, that dude's got pimples. Like, like, like it's, it's, it's so high definition, it's so detailed, it's so there that you're like, it, it almost, have you, have you watched one of these, like the screens where like it almost loses the movie magic because like you're like, no, that just looks like people on the screen now, not superheroes, not the movie thing. Now there are some things that are like that in, in our world. Psalm 131 paints this picture of a peaceful and beautiful heart an energized mind, a person prepared to exist in the very presence of God. Now, do you feel like that's you? A, a beautiful picture, an energized mind, a peaceful heart? If, if you're thinking, well, I may have got a little bit of a way to go to quite get there, I'd say, well, why not? I mean, you've just had the psalm read out to you. You've just, you've just seen Psalm 131 on the old TV screen, as it were. You got to, he had it read out to you. You've got all the instructions now to... to to be, have that heart? Why not? Well, it's a stupid question, obviously, I know that. But it's because for us to become this person, we actually need to obey Psalm 1 in the way that we use Psalm 131. We need to meditate on it, to pray on it. Uh, like a top-of-the-line TV, it's something you have to experience. You can't just read it. You can't just listen to a sermon on Psalm 131 to get it. So my invitation to you now is to start the process of experiencing Psalm 131 with me now. Now, uh, did you notice the, the heading, the superscript at the beginning of Psalm 131? A song of ascents means that this is an ancient Israelite traveling song. Uh, I don't know if you guys had traveling songs when you went away on holidays with your family. Uh, I, ours was always 99 bottles of beer on the wall. I only realized later on that, that was, like, apparently Christians weren't supposed to like, have that as their little kid's song. Apparently that was somehow bad. I, that's just what we sang. Three times a year... 
faithful Israelites needed a song. They needed songs to sing because they would go up to Jerusalem. And like you think it's bad with three kids in the backseat of the car, try strapping three kids to the donkey and trying to get them not to kill each other on the way up. And, and these songs, they were songs they would sing on their way to prepare their hearts because their ultimate destination isn't just Jerusalem. It's actually the high point of Jerusalem. It's the temple. It's the temple where God lives. So these are songs, not just to keep the kids occupied in the back of the car. These are kids, these are, sorry, these are songs when you're going to meet God. These are songs to prepare your heart to meet its maker. If you've ever thought about, hold on, what am I going to do when I'm going to meet my maker? What kind of things should I do to do that? You've got a bunch of Psalms there in the Bible for this purpose, 120 and onwards. And this particular one is how King David wanted his people to prepare their hearts to meet their God. Now, his first order of business, as you'll see in Psalm 1, is to humble your heart. So he says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, it actually sounds a little bit of a brag at first, doesn't it? Like, if the, he's not saying that's how I want to be. He's saying that's how I am. Like, it's a little bit Trump, you know. Uh, the, the, I'm the humblest. I'm the, really the humblest there is. Um, and you have to understand, uh, Jesus is actually, sorry, uh, David here, the guy who's writing this, he actually is a bit Trump-esque. He's the leader of, if not the free world, he's the leader of everything that he sees. He's got way more power than Trump. There's no, there's no end to his term. Uh, there's no one's going to impeach David. He's got the army. He's got the swords. And yet, this guy who can do whatever he wants recognizes that there are some things that are above his pay grade, even though there is no human whose pay level is above him. And look, that's not how our world leaders think. Like, certainly not my, uh, my, com- my comrade, uh, Mr. Putin. Uh, it's, it's just not how world leaders do their thing. Like, like, David here says, I can't solve all your problems. That's his, that's, that, that's his political advertisement to his people. That's what he wants them to be thinking as they come into his city where he rules to say, actually, I don't have the answers. Now, for some of us, maybe arrogantly and sometimes maybe even foolishly, we do get ideas above our pay grade and we get this idea in our heads that we are meant to have the answers to everything. Oh, sure, I've I've got them from the Bible, but I'm still meant to have them. And if I don't have them, well, I'm not okay. If I don't have an answer for this question someone's got for me or if if I don't know how to deal with this, and so we make up little ways to deal with things and we build up our little little set of answers in our head that can answer everything and if that gets rocked if that gets shaken if my my argument for the existence of god my atheist friend comes up with something that actually makes that argument look a bit silly like (gasps) it it rocks us because i'm supposed to have the answers and i had an answer for that one but now that answer is and it can make us actually quite defensive when someone does that david's psalm tells us if you're about to enter the presence of god there is someone who's going to have all the answers in this room And it's not going to be you. It doesn't have to be you. Second thing. Second thing that David says to himself, or says about himself, is that he is as safe as a toddler with mum. 
He says, but I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. Now that is, that is, a, that is a nice picture. Uh, like this serene sort of, you know, photo shoot of mother and daughter. It's, it's pure peace and confidence and therefore joy. Now it is interesting that David goes for a toddler here, not a baby and not a youth. This one couldn't come along to light him up on Saturday. This is sort of more, you know, little, early little souls. We're talking a toddler. And, and as a dad, I'm sort of looking at this, and I know I'm a little bit out of the range now, but I'm also sort of a little sceptical because I'm just sort of thinking, David, like, since when are toddlers calm? Seriously. Like, when my kids were toddlers, we could tell how tall they were by sort of like the, the waterline, as we called it, on the walls, like where the greasy fingerprints were. You know, that's, you know that they're growing if the waterline's getting higher. But toddlers can actually be calm because the thing is, toddlers sort of have this way of getting away with lots of stuff when they're in public spaces because mum will sort it out. See, this is the genius of being a toddler and David has grasped onto this. He's grasped onto something about what Jesus said when he said, you know, uh, do not stop the little ones from coming to me for to such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. You must become like this little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. See, there is no one more confident than a toddler with their parent between them and the person they're poking the tongue at. Because you've got someone between them. Have you ever had a little kid poke their tongue at you or maybe make a rude gesture at you or worse from a position of safety. You can be cheeky when you're a little toddler. Look, um, this is uh, Princess Charlotte at age four while accompanying the, the royal family at the King's Cup Regatta. Life's fun when your granddad's the king. It's uh, pretty good. Um, now, it's the presence of the parents that provides the security that lets her be silly, be curious, to explore the world, to get into everything. These toddlers get into everything because... Well, they're just not worried about where food's coming from because mum, because mum. Safe in the knowledge that when they get scared, they can run straight back to her. And David's saying, when I'm with God, I'm like a toddler hanging out with mum. I'm just not worried about anything because mum's there. Just not insecure because I'm with him. It's going to be okay. David tells his heart in order to soothe his heart. My heart's not proud. Verse 1 and verse 2, I'm confident with God. But, but it's also not just what David says I'm like. It's also what David says he does. Have a look at verse 2. He says, I have stilled. So we need to go back to the, the verses. I have stilled my heart. You see, the moment that inspired this psalm wasn't Zen peace. It was a time of turbulence. His brain's saying, oh, here's something that's come up. We need to worry about that. We need to think about all the possibilities that might happen. We need to think of 50 different ways to actually deal with that and maybe to make that not happen. And then if I worry about it a little bit more, then I'll feel better because then I'll have at least worried about it. And, not have, and it's not like I'm ignoring it. No, I'm being really responsible by worrying about it. And his brain is doing all of these things. Look, to be honest, David's heart was a mess. His love life was a mess. His ability to lie to himself in order to, to, to and, then, and then commit violent crime in order to cover up his messed upness of his heart was messy. And that's why he had to do the things that he does in verse 2. I, he says, have stilled and quieted my soul. He had to spend time doing this Thinking, oh yes, I should have a still, calm heart isn't the same thing as instructing yourself, instructing your mind about what to think and what not to think. 
Verse 1, I don't think about great things. Verse 2, I'm like a little kid. And then we'll get to verse 3, God's going to make everything better. Um, We have to use this psalm. We've got to sing it. We've got to pray it. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not lifted too high. I do not think of things too great and too wonderful for me, but like a weaned child with its mother. I've, sorry, but I've still been quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Sorry, it's from a different translation. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord from both now and forevermore. Say it over to yourself again. Tell yourself it. Tell yourself it again. Meditate on it day and night like Psalm 1 reminds us to do. That's, this, is, this is why it's so short. Psalm 131 is 100 green bottles standing on the wall. You, 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 can, you can sing it to yourself 100 times. It's doable. And what will that do to you? It, you see, it's the experience of going to my parents' house and standing in the formal lounge room and seeing that big screen and going like, whoa, okay, I can see where the special effects aren't really adding up in that movie. You've you, you got to be there and experience it to get it. If you don't, you'll just have to take my word for it. It's not supposed to read like a textbook. We have to say this out loud repeatedly for it to do its work. I've got a friend who prays in the mornings out loud. Just goes to a little room so no one thinks he's crazy and, and he can speak out loud to God. And it changes his prayer life. David knew that if all he ever did was listen to the thoughts that were floating around in his head, he'd be a bit of a basket case. If all of us now are listening to all of the thoughts that are going on around us, from advertising, from kids, from all of the things, all the little pressures, if we only listen to ourselves and the voices, we will be basket cases too. We have to speak to our own soul, instruct ourselves so that it will instruct us in turn. It's important to listen to your soul, but we also need to tell it things. Uh, I, I, would go, I think I would go as far as to say, reading particularly a psalm of sense anywhere between the 120s and onwards, listening, just listening to a sermon or just reading a psalm of ascent once, and not memorizing or speak, saying it over and over again to yourself, is psalm abuse. Because it's not what it's for. You're not using it the way that God gave it to you. There's some things you have to experience to get. So it's a good one to memorize. And as you can hear, even I, with my memory, can, can do it. It's doable. Now look, um, next up, I've got... <laughs> I don't think we're going to talk through all of these. I've got here a, kind of like an outline for, for, for how to face anxiety. But that's, that's, that's something we can talk about, something you can throw, throw you know, your eyes over, think about, talk to me afterwards. We can throw it back up on the screen afterwards. Um, but tonight, we're not sort of getting what Pete's put together from God's Word. We want to hear God speak to us from this psalm. Tonight, we're sitting with David as he prepares and is thinking, I've got people coming into the temple. I've seen, I've seen like in, in living history from David, people die from touching things that I've now got in the temple. Like be struck down by God. How am I going to prepare my people to meet God? And this is what he's got. This is an important thing. So we're going to hear God, what God says. Now, uh, it, it's really a big deal because like, it's not just David. Like, like, what is the general experience of people entering God's presence in the Bible? What kind of things happen? They, they normally fall over, don't they? Fall on their face. Not because they trip, but because they're like, I just can't handle this. This will undo me. Woe is me, uh, for I am undone. These are the kinds of words that you, that you hear. 
I want you to understand that that's what you're doing when you pray. Like, we don't always think of prayer like that. I, I sometimes think more of how bad I am at praying or how bad I am at concentrating or those things. But I don't think, no, what I'm doing when I'm praying is I'm entering the presence of Almighty God, the Holy One of Israel. When you pray, you enter holy ground. Imagine walking up to the temple, the sights and the smells. Imagine it as a kid. Everything's bigger than you. There's rituals. There's forbidden areas. There's, there's don't go in there, you'll die signs. And you're walking into this special place that is imposing, this massive temple, and you're scared and worried. And what is that? Wow, what's this place like? Well, our last little bit helps us to, to finish our preparation for it, to pray and to go into God's presence. Verse 3. See, ultimately, David's way of living life was not to know the answers, but to be with the person who does and to be on their side. He chose not to worry because a bit like Princess Charlotte, his father was the king. There's a... You know the quote about being humble, that being humble isn't sort of um, thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less, less often. Neither of those will stop you from being anxious, though. Just thinking about yourself less won't stop you from being anxious, or thinking less of yourself won't. If you, if you don't know where you are with God, and you're about to walk into his presence, you're still going to be anxious. You should be. What will? Well, if you know that God is actually your parent, if you know he loves you, if you know that he calls you his own, then if you recognize that when you enter God's presence in prayer, as David did in the temple, you're entering holy ground. You're in the presence of one far, far greater than you. You're entering the presence of one who knows all the answers, who is sufficient for all things, who rules the electorates, who rules the spiritual realm, who is over everything in this world. And you know he loves you. Then you've got skirts to hide behind like a toddler does. See, the most confident kid in the schoolyard isn't the one with the strongest and kindest father. It's not. Your heavenly father is the biggest and the kindest, and yet we have anxiety. The most confident kid in the playground is the one who is convinced that his father is the strongest and the kindest. It's his faith in that. And so for, for us as Christians, uh, we get this special thing to, to, to obey someone, to meditate on the cross and the resurrection on Jesus' death and his defeating of death, to, to think about what it means that Jesus died for you. The, the, this is the task. This is how you become a non-anxious person. If you, all of that you know, four-step process aside, this is how you become a non-anxious person. Think about what it means that Jesus died on a cross and then was alive. The, the, the enemy that has literally defeated every single person who has ever lived has a one in their loss column now. It was against Jesus in the contest of God's. Jesus was dead and now he's not. He has an answer for that. So meditate on, yes, the death of Jesus for you. So yes, he loves you. He's on your side. He's between you and danger. But also on the resurrection. Like, mull on that. Stop and let your mind just go around it for a bit. What does it mean that, that someone came back from the dead? What does it mean that that person is still alive? 
What does it mean that that person is the king of the world while your boss says, hey, can you just do this dodgy thing at work? What does it mean when you're scared to have a conflict with this person or tell them a difficult thing? There's always someone between you and any and every danger. For the, what does it mean that Jesus is the king of the world and has defeated death for the, the fear that it's, fears that exist in your heart and your head and your body about yourself and whether your sin's too big for God to forgive or just your fears that you're not enough? And See, the thing is, no Christian will end up dead. That's not the end point for Christians. No one hiding behind God's skirts needs to be scared of anything. And so the last line here. Put yourself in and amongst God's skirts. Put your hope in the Lord. Now, that's an experience thing too, right? That's not something you think of. That's something you've got to do. So right now, in this moment, you get to choose what you're going to put your hope in. Right now, this very instant, you've got to work out what's going to make things okay for you. And you get this choice to put your hope in the fact that God is king. And that will change you doing that right now. And then it will change you if you do it tomorrow morning when you wake up. And it will change you if you sing this little psalm to yourself at morning tea. And it will change you again if you do it before you go to bed. And we'll be less anxious. But more to the point, we'll be honoring the God who is our loving generous, kind, and strong parent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a genuinely scary thing to actually do what we're doing now and pray to you. It is a dangerous place to walk. But Father, for us who are your children, it is the, the safest place for us to be. Father, we, um, we ask, Lord, that you would give us the ability to trust you and to walk into your presence regularly in prayer, that we'd put our hope in you. Father, we, um, we ask that you would assist us in calming our hearts by meditating on your word, by bathing in it, by repeating it over and over again, by embedding it into our systems, by making it real to us. Father, please, uh, please uh, save us from, um, uh, from being, feeling secure because of the things we know about you or even how many times we, we read this psalm or any of those things. But Father, give us the, the wisdom to be secure because we know that you love us and that you've defeated death. God, it was a very real thing that happened on Mount Carmel. Thanks for the kids' talk. Thank you, Lord, that you are the strongest and we can put our hope in you. Father, it was a, a powerful thing to sing together, um, the, the songs of, um, of how all, all our hope is in you and you are uh, everything and, and that you will overcome. Father, help us to remember the songs, to sing them to ourselves, to remember the story, to meditate on your word day and night this week so that we would remember just how big and strong you are and be the kid who is convinced that our dad is the strongest in the schoolyard. God, we pray this yes for our blessings to, to banish anxieties from our hearts, but Father, even more so, that we might be fit to walk with you and to be with you in your presence. 
prepared to live with you and have great joy with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.